following message was delivered at Bible Baptist Church in Dickinson, North Dakota. Chapter 50 this morning, Genesis chapter 50, but we are glad you're here, even if you're not. Amen. Genesis chapter 50. You know, there's sometimes when you roll out of bed and you're saying to yourself, boy, do I want to go to church? I felt like that today. Thinking, do I really want to go to church? I mean, the way I feel, I'll call in sick. Now, how does that work? Who do I call? A Lord. <clears throat> no, we just go to church anyway. Genesis chapter 50, let's begin in verse 14. The Bible says, And Joseph returned unto Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father. And after that he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that there was, their father was dead, they said, Joseph will certainly requite us all the evil which we did him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of thy servants of God, thy father. Joseph wept, And Joseph wept when he... Uh, when they spake unto him, and his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, uh, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in in, uh, the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much uh, people Alive, I'd like to preach on the subject, a great paradox and parallel truth. A great paradox and parallel truth. Now, before I, I uh, uh, begin to preach this morning, now, brother, you on the very back row, I imagine you're a preacher. I think you called, uh, called our house, and I didn't get back to you, but why don't you stand and introduce yourself and lead us in prayer. Amen, amen. Amen. All right, if you will, a great paradox and parallel truth. Now, here in a text, we see what appears to be an obvious 
a paradox. A paradox is defined as a seeming contradictory or absurd statement that expresses a possible truth here in our text in verse 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. What a paradox that out of evil, God uh, could bring a great good. And uh, the word parallel means uh, having the same direction, nature, tendency, or course. It means having parts that are parallel. There is, if you will, a parallel in uh, the New Testament that goes along with our uh, text here and our study of uh, Joseph. So let's uh, continue. First of all, we want us to look at the paradox. Now, again, as I just said a moment ago, that uh, it appears that there was a lot of evil going on, but out of this great evil, God uh, brought some great good. Uh, well, first of all, I want to talk about the definite evil here that was involved with Joseph finally coming to the place where he came. First of all, the definite evil uh, uh, in, in that in verse uh, 20 says, but as for you, you thought evil against me. And he's talking to his brothers now. And you know what? You know, it's sad that sometimes brothers and sisters don't get along. I mean, you know, we would assume that all brothers and sisters get along. Now, aren't you four guys brothers? And you've always gotten along, amen? No, 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 no. Say, preacher, what planet are you from? Well, I think I'm still from Earth. Who knows? But... <clears throat> Now, the reality is, is that we don't always get along, and we find here that uh, these brothers were having trouble getting along, and part of the evil that they dealt with was the favoritism of their father. Look back, if you will, to Genesis chapter 37 and verse 4, Genesis 37 and uh, verse 4. And let me say this, we need to, as parents, be careful not to show favoritism uh, one, uh, for one child above another. We want to be able to love them all the same even though they're not the same, amen? As a matter of fact, I look at you guys, you four guys, and I'm thinking, are they really brothers? <laughs> you know? um, because they never, they, I had one brother. I went to the same high school, and people didn't know we were brothers. Now, that was, part of that was my fault. I didn't want them to know he was my brother. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean, they, we didn't look that much alike, and yet uh, we were brothers. But, you know, favoritism is not a good thing. It creates harsh it creates hatred sometimes among siblings, anger. And in Psalm, excuse me, uh, uh, Genesis 37 and 4, and when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Now, you know, dad set uh, Joseph up uh, for trouble because he treated him with a, a deference, a, a, maybe a greater love and favor uh, than the other brothers. Look with me to 2 Chronicles 19. 2 Chronicles 19 and uh, verse 7. <clears throat> the Bible says, Wherefore now let thy fear of the Lord be upon you, let the fear of the Lord, and take heed and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. You know, God is not a respecter of persons. As a matter of fact, he says, for, that, for, for a piece of bread, that man will transgress any man. You know, the Bible says there's, a, a, there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. You know, folks, the best of the best, the Bible says vanity is vanity, all is vanity. The be Every man at his best state is altogether vanity. You know, to favor one above, above another is foolish because we're all alike and we all have different issues and uh, we're not God. We're not to be respected above God either. We need to be careful of this subject or this problem of favoritism, especially in the home in, Excuse me, Romans 2 and 11. 
Romans 2 and 11. Because favoritism leads to trouble. In uh, Romans 2 and 11, for there is no respect of persons with God. You know, when men stand before God, the rich, the famous, the so-called wonderful, the beautiful people who have rejected Jesus Christ, I don't care what their station in life has been, they will stand equally condemned before a holy God, and but for the grace of God, so would all of us, even we who are saved uh, by his grace. In James chapter 2 and verse 1, James chapter 2, obviously, This is a problem, uh, and it is spoken of in the scriptures. It's a problem for all men that that, that, uh, that they have to deal with. And uh, yet, especially in a home, it should be something we avoid. In uh, James chapter 2 and verse 1, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. Now, James is addressing the problem of respect to persons. He says, you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing. And that's not the same kind of gay we talk about today, amen. Talking about uh, <clears throat> fancy clothing and saying to him, sit thou here in a, in a good place and say to him, uh, say to the poor, stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. And uh, it says, are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye despise the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat? It says, do, they, do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? If you fill the, fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself, you do well. But if you have respect in the persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of law. So we find here that there's a respect of persons going on, favoritism, and it should never be found among the people of God, particularly among a family as it was with Joseph's family. And it was part of the definite evil that was going in sin. If you will, then we want to talk about the hatred of the brothers again, second, excuse me, Genesis 37. Genesis 37. <clears throat> and we'll begin in verse 5, but we'll read a little further. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told his brethren that, and they hated him yet the more. Now, you know, Joseph, I don't know if Joseph was naive or what. I mean, he's telling them everything that's kind of going on. And they're getting more and more angry with him. They're hating him uh, because of his dreams. And he said unto them, I hear, here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we are binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf alone uh, arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said uh, to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? Uh, and they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Now, you know, I don't know that Joseph was trying to rub something up their nose. I think Joseph was just trying to share with him a dream that he had and that God had revealed to him, and yet they're hating him because of the fact that that dad favors him above them. And now look at his dreams, if you will, uh, verse 17 and following. Here again, the Bible says, "And And the man said, they are departed hence, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. 
And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast had devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. We know that Reuben talked them out of killing him. I mean, can you imagine? Now, there, I'm sure when I, there were times with my brother when we were growing up, I was so mad at him, I thought I wanted to kill him. Now, thanks be to God, I didn't kill him. And sometimes we get mad at each other, and, say, and we may even say something as stupid as, I'm going to kill you. And yet, these guys, they were planning to kill their own brother because of some of the things that were going on. And if you will look at me to Genesis, excuse me, uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. The hatred uh, that they had for their brother would have led them to kill him, except for Reuben, who turned them aside from their course. In Je- excuse me, Galatians 5 and 19. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Hatred is listed among those things uh, which would uh, lead uh, folks to do the wrong. It's, it's sin in itself and often causes them to do greater evil uh, because, because of it. And let me say this, no Christian uh, should let their anger that sometimes gets stirred up in them cause them to go out and do something that's wrong. The Bible says be angry and sin not. Sometimes it's okay to be angry and evil, but not angry at our brother and desire to hurt them or what have you. And then we talk about the third thing we want to consider is the false accusations of Potter's, Potiphar's wife that leads to his imprisonment. Now, now, folks, all kinds of evil is going on here. Joseph's brothers, they hate him. They want to kill him. Uh, Dad has favor, uh, shown favoritism to him, and that was evil, that was wrong. And you're saying to yourself, man, how is it that all of this evil can bring some good? How can God bring any good out of all of this nonsense? Look with me to Genesis 39 and verse 7. Genesis 39 and verse 7. <clears throat> Genesis 39 and 7. The Bible said, It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? All that this world today would realize and remember that God still calls adultery and fornication and all kinds of other ungodliness like the gay movement or whatever, great sin and wickedness against God. Joseph knew that. And he stood against it, even though he was a slave in Potiphar's house. The Bible says here in verse 10, It came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her and to, to be with her. Folks, he was resisting the evil. It came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. <clears throat> and there was uh, none of the men of the house there within 
And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And, she, and he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. I mean, he did the right thing. The Bible says we are to flee youthful lusts. Flee the wicked, folks. Turn from it. Run from it. He did just that. And yet in the face of that, it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, uh, See, he... Uh, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me. And I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she goes on to tell a lie about Joseph. And folks, you know, it seems like it's going from bad to worse. One evil after another. Then there's also, if you will, look at me to um, <clears throat> Genesis 40 and uh, Genesis 40, and look at verse 23. What about the forgetfulness of those Joseph helped? Now, Joseph is thrown into prison, and it's an amazing thing. He's first in Potiphar's house, and before long, he's, ru he's running Potiphar's house. Then his wife accuses him falsely. He's thrown out of the house, thrown into jail. He's in the jail, and he's practically running the jail. And yet, in the midst of all of that, and the Bible says, and yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. Now he, is just, he had given the interpretation of dreams. One is hanged, another one is brought out of jail. And it came to pass in verse chapter 41 and 1, it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. Now two years have passed. Nobody's paid any attention to Joseph. He's done good by the one that was brought out of jail, and yet he's forgotten again. One evil after another evil after another evil. And you're looking at that and thinking to yourself, what in the what, what good can come from all of this mess? What a paradox. You know, because uh, Joseph says to his brothers, you know, you meant it for evil. And they did. Many meant evil against them, and they did. And yet, and yet, there's an undeniably good result. <clears throat> if you look back to our text in Genesis 50, Genesis 50 and verse 20, But as for you, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day to save much a people alive. God meant it unto good. And first of all, to prepare Joseph for a great place of, of service. You know, sometimes we imagine to prepare the, to, to be prepared to serve the Lord. It's a blessed thing. You know, when God calls us and wants us to get prepared, we ought to seek to be, prepare ourselves. But sometimes, folks, the best kind of prepa uh, preparation for serving God is the preparations that God does in our lives to prepare us. You know, uh, Joseph had been a slave. God had, Joseph was favored in his house. But God took him from a place of favor to a place of obscurity, a place of bondage, jail, all of that. But what was God doing? God was preparing Joseph for a great place of service, and Joseph didn't even really understand it. But God had a plan. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Amen? You know, our life, things that happen in our lives as Christians are not by accident. They're often by divine decree. God is working out his purpose in us. He has something that he's trying to do 
in our lives and often to prepare us to help and serve other people. In Psalm 105, look there with me, Psalm 105 this morning. What good could come from all of this evil? Well, God was preparing um, Joseph for a great place of service. In Psalm 105, verse 16, Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came. The word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go. He made him lord over his house and ruler of all his servants to bind his princes at his pleasure to teach his servants wisdom. Israel also came up out of Egypt, into Egypt and Jacob, Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. You know, God knew that there was going to be a famine in the land. And what an amazing journey Joseph had to go from his hometown then into Egypt. It was not a pleasant journey, but yet it was a prosperous journey because God had prepared him for a great place of service. And when it was God's time, he allowed him to be brought out of prison, made second to Pharaoh. And they, and you know, folks, the entire nation of Egypt and finally even the world moved at his command. Amen. God was doing something great. God was preparing to take care not only of his family who would come into Egypt, but he was preparing them a place where he would make Israel a great nation in Egypt, in bondage. Folks, God is a great God. God has great purposes. God works out and prepares uh, things long before we can imagine they'll come to pass. And folks, his preparations are always the best. Amen? I'm amazed sometimes at what I see the Lord do in his preparations in our lives for different kinds of things, even for service. And we think, why do I have to go through this kind of evil in order to go on to serve God? Well, folks, it may very well be a preparation for something even greater than you're doing now, even as it was uh, for Joseph. Joseph. But the Bible says, well, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, amen? God has a purpose for your life as a Christian. God wants to use you to do something uh, great for God. And it may not be something super flashy, but I'm gonna tell you something. If God's given you a place of service, take hold of it and do your best in it, amen? Let God uh, be glorified in you. Look at me to 2 Timothy chapter two. 2 Timothy chapter two and verse 19. <clears throat> Bible says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. What a blessing that we can know we're saved. And folks, uh, we know we're saved. God knows who is saved. Amen. And he says, but in a great house, there's not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. God wants to prepare us to do some great work or some good work for, for him as he was with Joseph. And folks, what a path to take. 
a path of one evil thing after another evil thing after another evil thing. And you know what? I can't imagine what it must have been like to be Joseph. And yet it seems like, I don't know, sometimes I get the impression almost that Joseph was maybe a little naive. Like, oh, okay. Oh, we're here now? Okay, it was, it was kind of tough over here, but now we're here. You know, Joseph somehow sought to do right in the midst of the worst of circumstances. And God took him through some pretty tough things to prepare him. There's undeniable good that came from what uh, looked like evil, if you will, not only the preparation for Joseph for service, but if you will, look back to uh, Genesis chapter 50, Genesis 50 and verse 20, Genesis 50 and verse 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Not only the preparation of Joseph for service, but the preservation of life. You know what, folks? Here, it's an amazing thing to imagine that God was going to work through one man named Joseph, bring him down a a difficult road, a road of evil and and trouble and trial and difficulty, finally raise him up to be second to the Pharaoh. And before it's all done, the entire world has to come to Egypt to live. They have to come to Egypt to live. They have to come, and at the direction of one man, sent and prepared of God, they found the preservation of the entire world at that time. And it's not to say that some didn't die, but a great preservation of life because of what one man went through to get to that place. It's seeming evil, and yet what a result Millions of people, their life was preserved. They were facing death, and yet they lived. And what a paradox. I mean, who would have imagined in the midst of all of this evil, there comes out this great good, this great good. Well, what about our, look at uh, Genesis 45 and verse 5. Genesis 45 and 5. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land and yet there is yet there are five years in which there shall uh, neither uh, earring nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Folks, God was for, for preserving lives. And let me say this. You know what, folks? God is, not, God, does, God is not a God that seeks to destroy men's lives. God is not a God like that. Though he has to judge men one day for sin, it is not God's heart to destroy man. Folks, God created man in the image of God. God loves man. And yet he knows he has to judge him one day. And the Bible says that God delights in mercy. He is not one that wants to destroy, but rather preserve. Well, what about the parallel? We've had the paradox. What about the parallel? Come me to John 3. John 3. 
and 16. John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Folks, there's no love like God's love. And it's an amazing thing. There's a parallel here that God sent his own son in the world. Now, you know what? He would take a, a, a course that would lead him through great evil and torture and abuse and finally the crucifixion. He would take a parallel course in some ways, a a parallel course of people treating him evilly and terribly before he'd finally go to the cross of Calvary, shed his precious blood and die and rise again the third day. And folks, what a parallel, folks, that, that God would allow his own son to go through all of that because he loves you. Amen? He loves you. And folks, if we're honest with ourselves, what is there to love? Really? What is there to love? I was amazed when I heard that God loved me the day I was saved. Because I had to look at myself and I couldn't find anything lovable or lovely. Amen? And I know some of you are saying, you know what, I'm not too sure about lovely even now. Well, what about the undeniable evil? Look with me to Luke 22. The Bible says that men love darkness rather than light. Jesus is the light. He came unto his own and his own received him not. The Bible says that, that Christ is the light and the light. The world received not the light. In Luke 22 and 1, now the feast of the unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, uh, uh, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Here's one Judas who had been with Jesus, supposedly a disciple of the Lord's, maybe even said, oh, maybe even sang the songs in church, oh, how I love Jesus, and yet he betrayed the Christ. He said he believed and trusted. Satan was able to enter into him because he was not saved. He did not have the Christ dwelling in his heart, never would. Satan was against the Savior. Matthew 27. Matthew 27 and 17. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For they knew that for envy they had delivered him. That envy is akin to what uh, uh, Joseph's brothers had for their brother. They envied him. They hated him because of it. 
And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whither of the twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate saith unto them, What uh, shall I do to uh, do with uh, um, <clears throat> then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Now, you know what, folks? What was Christ guilty of? Nothing. Except saying what was true, that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Christ, the Messiah. You know, as a matter of fact, they repeatedly said, Thou blasphemest. And he wasn't blaspheming. Bible says he was tempted at all points like as we are, and yet without sin, and yet he allowed himself to be abused and rejected by sinners. What a parallel, folks. What evil he went through on the road to Calvary. Amen. What evil. And he willingly went through because he loved us. He wanted to save us. He wanted to preserve us from the judgment of Almighty God. If you will, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Let's get the context a little bit back up to verse 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also has suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself unto him that judgeth righteously. Meaning God. You know, folks, God is a righteous God. God is a righteous judge. God judges right all the time. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on that tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. You know, the reality is, is that not only did Satan was against the Savior, sinners against the Savior, but sin, our sin, was laid upon the Savior. All of it. Now I want you to stop and think with me for just a moment. Think about some of your sins. Think about some of the sin you're guilty of. What is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law. 1 John 3 and 4 says it. In in just 10 commandments, we are all guilty of some of the most gross and vile things. And you stop and think about this for a moment. All of that gross, vile, wicked sin was laid upon our Lord Jesus Christ and he bore it in love to the cross of Calvary and died the sacrifice for our sin. Not for his sin, but for ours. Folks, the greatest evil of all time is our sin. And it was laid upon him. If you will look with me to 1 John 4 and verse 10. 1 John 4 and verse 10. How could all of this evil that Christ went through bring out, bring us to a great conclusion? In 1 John 4 and 10, here in his love, not that we love God. You know, no one, no one has always loved God. We love him because he 
first loved us. Amen. And he loved us before we, uh, before we were saved. He loved us in that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means an appeasement. God appeased, Christ appeased God for our sin by the sacrifice of himself, by the shedding of his precious blood. God appeased an angry God, angry justly over the sin of man. God in Christ in love made an appeasement for our sin. And folks, God is pleased when he sees us turn in repentance from our sin to Christ with all of our heart and trust him and him alone, now listen, to save us from all of our sin. Amen. Save us from it all. Well, what about the undeserved good? John 3. Let's read it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Saved from sin, saved from its consequences. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. What is that death? Eternal separation from God and hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God offers it to us for a gift, but it was purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. And God did it all to save us from our sins. Acts 3 and, 9, Acts 3 and verse 13. Acts 3 and 13. Here, here <clears throat> Peter's preaching. Let's start in verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered and said to the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? There's a man who's been lame. They, they raised him up, healed him, and it was God that healed him. The God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Now, Peter's tough here. He's laying the ball right in their lap. And God allowed him to, uh, to do a miracle to get their attention so he could preach Christ to them. But ye, but ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murder be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want that, ye, that through ignorance ye did it as it did your, uh, your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Folks, God has called, commanded uh, all men, all everywhere to repent 
and believe the gospel. Jesus said in Mark 1, 14 and 15, Repent ye and believe the gospel. What is the gospel? How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Our salvation is wrapped up in what Christ went through and has accomplished as the risen Savior. Are you saved? When did you repent and believe the gospel? When did God show you your sin? Show you the evil of your own heart? And then, you know, folks, God never just says, you're a mess. He says, you're a mess, but here someone can clean up the mess. Amen. I appreciate the mess that was cleaned up after they were doing some work in here. A blessing. We're a mess, but there's a remedy for the mess. And it's Christ. Amen. Christ came to give his life so that he could preserve life and give life to others. Are you saved today? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior? 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm done. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, beginning in verse 12, Paul's giving us a little background here. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly <clears throat> and in unbelief. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Now watch verse 16, 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to destroy people, to hate people, to ruin people. Is that what it says? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You know, Saul of Tarsus, who was a religious man, very religious very self-righteous, had to realize he was a mess. God helped him to see he was a sinner. And Saul of Tarsus, like every sinner, had to come to a place where he realized, you know what, if, if I don't trust God through Christ, I will have no hope. And he did, even as um, the publican in Luke 18, cried out, said, God, be merciful to me a sinner. When did you see yourself as a sinner? You know, it's easy to look around at people in this room and see sin. Even as Christian people. You look at me in the pulpit, you know, you're, you know what you're not going to find? The perfect preacher. You can say amen. I'm not the perfect preacher. We, we knew that preacher. Amen. I want to try to do right, and I strive to be, if you will, perfect. Remember, perfect, though, though doesn't mean without sin. It talk, when we talk about perfect, we're talking about someone mature, someone who's living for God. 1 John 2 and 1 says, and, and the Apostle John said, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. But who doesn't sin? Who doesn't sin? But we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Do you know something, folks? Thanks be to God that there's a remedy for sin. You know, God sent Christ on a very difficult path. 
He encountered one evil after another evil, one mess after another mess, took him all the way to the cross of Calvary, where he was nailed to that cross, shed his precious blood, died and was buried and rose again the third day and took his precious blood into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, and took his blood and anointed the mercy seat of God in heaven. And he wants to save you by his grace if you're not. God sent his son down that long road from Genesis 3.15 to the end in Revelation. Sent him down that long road so that you, and it's a road, a long road, a road of evil that would lead to life. Now what a paradox. Who can imagine all the evil that Christ went through just like Joseph and good come from it all? God could make it good. Amen. God could bring good out of the mess. Now listen, out of the mess we've made of it. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message, or if you would like information about our church, please visit us online at bbcdickinson.com.